person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In this new year, I want you to call upon Christ to save you. To call upon Him in faith. To believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That a living Savior came as the Son of God. and He lived a perfect sinless life and He died and rose from the grave. I want you to believe that. I, want you, I don't want you just to have mental assent to it. I want you to really believe it with all your heart that it really happened. I don't want, and, and if you believe it, that doesn't mean that it happened. But believe it because it did happen. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he showed himself to dozens of people and then to hundreds of people at one time. And nobody doubted the fact of Christ's resurrection. If you're going to be saved, if you're going to be justified, declared innocent before God, that's what you have to do. You must call upon Christ and believe that he died for you. You must do it. And you must do it without delay. Because you do not know when your last moment on this earth is going to be. It, to quote the old preacher from Pollyanna, death comes unexpectedly. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to roll up in your driveway. You don't know when your last breath is going to be breathed. But if you do not put your faith in Jesus Christ and do it now, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to be delivered from damnation. Believe in Christ today. What a great time to become a Christian on the first day of the year. Begin the new year as a real, authentic, true child of God who's been born again. Put your faith in Christ. The second thing I want you to do in the new year, turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. After Peter preached the sermon at Pentecost and thousands of people believed the gospel, it says in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. Now, I don't know how many of you here have followed the Lord in believer's baptism, which is scriptural baptism. The Bible teaches over and over, page after page, example by example, that those who have believed the gospel follow Jesus Christ into the waters of baptism and identify with him in baptism. They received his word and they were baptized. But why in the world were they baptized? When John the Baptist came into the world, he came, when he began his ministry, he was baptizing people. And in the Gospel of John, he's there by the Jordan River and the Jewish leaders, they come to him and they say, why are you baptizing all these Jews? Now, baptism... If you were converting to Judaism, the Jews would have a ceremonial act. They would baptize you and wash away your Gentileness, and you would be born again, in a sense, reborn as a Jew. Now, what I just said to you is somewhat controversial, and not everybody believes it. But those who don't believe it are wrong. <laughs> and I say that because that's what John Gill said. And if John Gill said it, it's probably true. You can basically take it to the bank. John Gill is my John MacArthur, okay? <laughs> so they came to John. They said, why are you baptizing these Jews? They don't need to be baptized. They're already Jews. And that's where John launches into that great diatribe where he calls them sinners and says, you need to be baptized. Now, we are baptized to identify with Christ. Romans chapter 6, I think that's water baptism. 
We are buried in, buried in death. We disappear under the waters. We are saying with Christ, we have died to our old life. We've died to sin, and we are resurrected to live a new life. My brother-in-law would say it like this. Getting baptized is like putting on the team jersey. It's like putting on a big, bright, red, beautiful Ohio State jersey. <laughs> no, I have, I have no dog in that, huh? I just thought I would say that for fun, just for effect. I would never say anything ungodly like MSU. <laughs> when you identify with Christ, you're saying, I am on Team Jesus. I belong to Christ. I'm dedicating myself to Christ. Now, that kind of act, that kind of declaration is something you can only do as a believer, as a cognizant, thinking person. When they baptize little babies, babies cannot make such a declaration. They can't make that kind of decision. But only a person who has come to know Christ as your Savior, they can be baptized. If you, ha- if you have come to faith in Christ, if you know that Christ is your Savior, you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Identify with Christ. Now, our third point is also here in this text. Notice verse 41 and verse 42. They received his word and they were baptized. Then they were added that day to the 120 who already existed, 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, what I want to talk to you here is about joining the local visible church. After they were saved, after they were baptized, they committed themselves to a particular assembly. Now, the the ESV here says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The the authorized version says they continued steadfastly, and the New American Standard here says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, this word fellowship is kind of a weird word. When I was a kid growing up, after church on Sunday nights, well, I was in college, actually, because we didn't have a Taco Bell in my town. But after church on Sunday nights, everybody would go to Taco Bell and what? Fellowship. You go down there and order a Mexican pizza. You guys remember when Taco Bell sold a Mexican pizza? What a little piece of heaven that it was. Go to Taco Bell, get yourself a bean burrito, get yourself a Pintos and cheese, which is a bean burrito without the burrito, without the tortilla. We'd go down there, we'd sit around in fellowship. And then we would say, you know, we're having a fellowship meeting at the church. And that was always, there'd be some guys that would come preach, and they'd be singing. Then afterwards, there would be food, fellowship. My whole life, to me, Fellowship equaled eating. But the word fellowship here doesn't mean eating, believe it or not. It's a word that's a strong word. The Greek word tells us that this is a partnership. It tells us that there is a cooperation that goes on here. That there is a commitment to one another. These persons, after they came to faith in Christ, they were baptized, they committed themselves one to another And to the apostles, they joined up. They signed up. They enlisted as a member of that first visible 
church. They joined the church because they were committed. They said, these are our people. We want to be a part of them. And they gave themselves to this first fellowship. And we know as we read the rest of the chapter, they gave themselves to it in an extreme way because they started giving to one another, helping one another, being burdened for one another. So in this new year, three of the nine things I want you to think about doing are calling upon Christ to save you, getting baptized, and joining the local church. Now, when I say the local church, I only really mean one church. I mean Faith Baptist Church. I think you should join this church. If you live here, if you're saved and you're baptized, I can tell you what God's will is. Are ready? <laughs> Here's a prophetic utterance. <laughs> Here's a word of knowledge. Here's a word of faith. Join this church. Commit yourself to the fellowship. Now, the fourth thing I want to tell you about, look at Psalms 119, verse 130. Psalm 119, 130. In this new year, read the Bible and pray the Lord's Prayer 260 days this year. Read the Bible. And pray the Lord's Prayer 260 days this year. 260, that's the number of chapters in the New Testament. So in this year, 260 days, one chapter, you can read the whole New Testament through this year. That's all it takes. Listen to what Psalms 119, verse 130 says. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Just look across the page to verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now I want to ask you a question. You feel like the world that we live in is getting brighter or darker? What do you think? Lighter or darker? Well, darker, obviously. Do you think you could use a little light? Do you think you could live, you could use something to help you to know the way not to go? To know how to be, how to think, how to feel, how to talk? Do you think you could use some light? I was working on my truck yesterday. When I bought it, it had these uh, stupid little, uh, be careful, Terry. It has the, had these running board things on it, which I'm always whacking my leg on. And so yesterday, I got it underneath there, and I said, I'm going to yank those suckers off. And I reached up in there to find the bolt. I couldn't find the little bolts at all. And then I realized I got a headlight in the, inside the truck. So I put my little flashlight on my head. And boom! I saw all those little bolts. And because this is Michigan and it's rusty, I was able to break all of them off. <laughs> but that light made all the difference. The light makes all the difference. When I was a kid, I'd be sitting in my... You know, downstairs in the house, and I'd be reading a book, and I'd be reading, and it'd get darker and darker and darker, and my mom would come in, and she'd like to carry <laughs> And my mom would walk in and flip on the light switch, and boom, the page would just glow with light. And she'd say, isn't that better? And as a teenage boy, you always say, meh. It was fine, Mom. I didn't need your help. But it was so much better. The light makes such a difference. And in this world that you're living in, which is getting increasingly dark, what you need is some light. 
What you need is God's word. The authorized version, the reading for verse 130, is better. Because it says, the entrance of your words give light. When the word of God comes into you, it is an illuminating power. I wrote down all these things. God's word is called these things in the Bible. God's word is called light. God's word is called honey. God's word is called fire. God's word is called food. God's word is called a hammer. God's word is called medicine. And God's word is called a mirror. And what you need in your life, my friends, is not 260 days of God's word, although I think I'd be a lot happier if you read, read it 260 days instead of zero days. What you need is an everyday dose of heavenly light, an everyday dose of heavenly medicine, an everyday dose of divine wisdom imparted into your life. And if you do that every day of this next year, or even 260 days of this next year, I'm going to tell you what you'll be next year. You'll be a different person. You'll be a better person. Because that hammer of God's word, it hammers on you and pounds on you and remakes you and shapes you and molds you into what God wants you to be. But it ain't going to do you a lick of good you don't read it just like that treadmill in your basement (laughs) just like that nordic track (laughs) just like that metamucil (laughs) it doesn't do you any good unless you take it in your hand and use it my friends i can tell you i went all the way through bible college I got ordained, got jobs in churches before I ever started reading my Bible every single day. When I, when I, was, when I graduated college at my ordination, my brother-in-law gave me a little commentary on 1 John by Jerry Vines. And I, I didn't read it until I was about 22 years old. I was married, married three years, had a daughter. And I decided, you know, I should read this book about 1 John because 1 John is kind of confusing. Right off the bat, Jerry Vine says, miss your breakfast or don't miss your Bible. And at that time, there's something I never missed every day. I would get up, two eggs over easy, two pieces of toast, a lot of salt, a lot of pepper. That was my, I, did, I never missed. All the way through college, in, in Benton, Arkansas, they had this place called Waffle House. What a wondrous place Waffle House is. You go in there and get two eggs over easy with toast, hash browns, smothered, <laughs> smothered, covered, and chunked. And back in those, I'm going to tell you what you could do in there back in those days. But it was, a, it was a great place to go, and I would eat, and I loved it. But Jerry Vines, he smacked me across the face when I read those words. Don't eat breakfast. Eat that Bible for breakfast. Miss everything, but don't miss God's word. And I said, from that day forward, I said, okay. I've been reading the Bible every day since then. Not the same amount. But I've read some portion of God's word every single day since then. And I can tell you this. It remade me as a man. It remade me as a person. It didn't make me perfect. It made me better than I was the day before. God's word, it washes us and cleanses us. You need God's word. And the second thing you need to do is you need to pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is such a weird thing, isn't it? 
You gotta, I tell the teenagers this on Wednesday nights all the time. When you pray, you're talking to God. And it doesn't really matter how you talk to God. I grew up in the thou, thee, thy world. Where you talk to God in this way that was kind of confusing. <laughs> and some people, have you ever heard somebody pray and thought, I mean, I wish I could pray like that. wish I could string together words and phrases like they do. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God. And sometimes we don't know what to pray. And because we're Baptists, sometimes we don't, like to, we don't like to think about prayer books and books of prayers or anything like that. But one of the best things you could probably do is go down, is go down Google and Google Book of Common Prayer and just use the, the common prayers for the whole year. Pray and talk to God. I, have it, I brought it here this morning because I'm going to use it at the communion service. This little book of prayer that I picked up a long time ago. It's a Lutheran book of prayer. Little prayers because you don't quite know how to pray sometimes about things. You don't quite know what to say. But you know, we don't really have to have man-made books of prayer because God has given us in his word all kinds of prayers. I got this little sermon I preach sometimes called Prayers Worth Repeating. And I just go through the Bible and just give all these prayers that are in the Bible. You want to hear it? I didn't think so. (laughs) Take the Bible, turn to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Make that your prayer. You say, well, that, that's kind of a pat practice prayer, isn't it? Yeah, but it's better than not praying. Some prayers better than no prayer. Get down on your knees with God's word and turn to the Psalms. Just make one of those Psalms your prayer. Psalms 127. Psalm 119, 22 daily prayers there in that section. Read Psalms 117, a two-verse prayer when you're short on time. Pray. Spend time with God. Talk to God. If you'll do those two things, if you'll read God's Word and pray 260 days out of the next 365, you will not be the same person you are now. You will be different. You know how I know you'll be different? Because I doubt many of you did it last year. You say, well, you're judging us. I am judging you. And if I'm wrong, good. But if the shoe fits, you need to wear it. Spend time with God's word. Now, here's what's going to happen. You can make a decision right now. I'm going to do this. And here's what's going to happen tomorrow morning. If you decide you're going to do it in the morning, here's what's going to happen tomorrow morning. The power is going to go out, flash off, and your alarm clock's not going to work. And you're going to be late for work tomorrow. And you're not going to read God's word. You say, well, I'll fix it. I'll do it tomorrow or the next day. Satan's going to try to fight you. There's a preacher who pastored in northern Indiana. I was, I was at a preaching conference, and he made, he made this statement. The devil will stop at nothing. The devil will, will do anything he can to keep you away from that book. And I think that's true. I think the devil loves it when Christians don't read his word. You may say, well, I can't understand the Bible. We have so many wonderful translations today. There's something you can understand. There's something that can help you out there. God's word is so powerful. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. Take up God's word. It's light. Number five. 
And this year, get a friend to come to church with you. Get a friend to start coming to church with you. In that great passage in John chapter 1, verse 41, the Bible says that Andrew, after he found the Messiah, he went back and found his brother Peter and said, Peter, we found the Messiah. Come and see this guy. Come and meet him. You have friends, people you care about, try to get them to come to church with you this year. You, you may be, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to witness and tell other people the gospel, and that can be intimidating. It's hard to witness to a friend sometimes, because when you start telling a friend he's a sinner, guess what he says back to you? Well, who are you to judge me? Because they think you're judging them. But you're not judging them. You're trying to help them find the same thing you found, found to find forgiveness of sins. But if you bring them here on Sundays, I'll tell them they're sinners. You get them here, and I'll step on their toes. And then when you leave, you can say, you know, you can say, please come back. <laughs> He's not always like that. <laughs> get a friend to come to church with you. Just, just invite them without any, without, any, without any difficulties. Here's what you could say. McDonald's is reopened. Amen? Here's what you could say. Here's what you could say tomorrow. You could send a text that said this. Hey, you want to go to church with me next Sunday? I'll buy you a Big Mac afterwards. See what they say. If you ask enough of your friends, one of them will say yes. If you ask them enough times, if you, if you invite a friend to come with you 20 times this year, you'll probably get them to come one Sunday of the year. Get them to come to church with you. Think about somebody that you want to see come to know Christ and get them to come to church with you. Share this wonderful thing called Christianity with people. Our kids, the, the kids that they meet at school, a lot of the kids in Sheboygan, the majority of kids in Sheboygan don't go to church at all. And they don't really know anything about church. And they, but they, all they know is what they see on TikTok about church. That's all they know. Or what they see on some YouTube channel with somebody knocking on church. And, and my friends, let's be honest, there's a lot of wacko churches out there, isn't there? Isn't there? There's a lot of wacko Christians out there. There's some, extre- there's some extremists out there. There's some nuts. But there is also a true and vibrant Christianity that really is good for people and helps people. Helps them find Christ. Helps them reorient their life. That's the kind of thing we got going on right here. We can dispel the myths by inviting our friends and loved ones to come and hear about Jesus. Come and hear God's word just taught and realize that Christianity is not a cult. That it's, that it's not, a, that it's not a, a bunch of fruit loops. Get a friend to come to church with you this year. Make it your ambition. You say, well... And I, don't, and, I, and I don't mean a hundred friends. I mean one. How many of you got a friend? Anybody got a friend? Some of you did not raise your hand. <laughs> so I want you to pray. <laughs> Lord, make me likable. <laughs> but if you got a friend, just invite them. Just invite them. And you know what? If you're having a hard time witnessing to your friends, inviting them to, inviting them to church will kind of change the game a little bit. They'll think about you differently. Oh, yeah, what's church? Okay. This person might really be a Christian. It opens the doors. Number six, you'll love this one. Start giving an offering every week. And when I say offering, I don't mean an offering of praise. 
I mean a, a, a cash offering. Money. This is the thing everybody says all preachers care about. All preachers care about and all churches talk about our money, right? Of course not. This may be the second time in a, a year or so that I've said anything about money. But I want you to think about giving some money to the church in 2023. How much money should you give? That's between you and God. But I want you to think about giving an offering every week. Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Test me and see if I will not pour out a blessing to you that you do not have room enough to receive. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give into your bosom. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, they should sow. He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth abundantly shall reap abundantly. And all those passages are talking about giving money. Now I want you to think about this. When you give money to the local church, like this church, it is, it, you are giving it to the church in the sense that the church, we use it to pay, to pay salary, keep the lights on, etc. But when you're giving that money, you're giving it to God. We, the local church, we are the, we're, we're the spot that God has picked out to collect His offerings. And you give it to God. And here's what God says. God says, I will bless you for your giving. Malachi 3.10. If you open your Bible and turn there, here's what you'll see. He's telling them to give, and he says, test me. Test me and see if I won't bless you. Test me. Test me. In other places, we're not supposed to tempt the Lord or test the Lord, but on this one, he says, test me. Test me and see. Now, I know how the arguments go about money because I've been trying to make money my whole life. I know Proverbs chapter 4 is right, that money makes itself wings and flies away. You ever experienced that? You ever have a good night? A <laughs> good night. <laughs> you ever, you ever come, in, come into a windfall and you're like, whoo, and then drive to work the next day and tires, transmissions, engines, teenage drivers. <laughs> So Valerie and I, we've been tithing for a long time. Now, that's what we do. We tithe. We give 10%. That's what we do. 10%. And I don't know if, you know, there's, there's ideas about New Covenant, Old Covenant stuff. I don't know if, if you're supposed to, in the New Covenant, you're supposed to tithe or not. I don't know. I know I'm too afraid not to tithe because there's a curse if you don't tithe. That's, that's my personal take on it. So we've been tithing in good times and in bad times. When full cabinets and lean cabinets, we've been giving to the Lord. And uh, when I think about it, I know the Lord has blessed us in a lot, of, a lot of great ways. And I can't say that I got a Ferrari in the garage or that I got, that I've had every single thing I wanted. But I've never spent a night on the street. I've never went without a meal. I've always, had, I've always had food to eat. I've always been able to buy the medicine I needed. The Lord's taken care of me. And my faith has grown. And I know He's blessed me. And I know He's blessed me. 
One time I used to talk, I said I had this car, I had four tires on it, they're Goodyear tires. Those tires lasted me almost 100,000 miles, believe it or not. They, they, they rotted out before they wore out. Now, what, now what, what, how do you explain that? Well, you know, you, you could say, well, it's just a, you, got, you just got yeah, <laughs> one to a million tires. Well, maybe so. I kind of always thought, well, the Lord just blessed me. He kept my tires going. He's kept my old jalopies going. You know what I'm saying? The Lord blesses his people. Now, I want you to think about giving. Of course, you've got to tell people sometimes exactly how they should do it. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give your whole paycheck every week this year. <laughs> no, I don't want you to do that. Here's what I want you to do. You may, you may be here, and, you, and your life financially is just a big, fat mess. Just a big, fat mess. I know how it ha- can happen. Just a big mess. Where do I start? Well, if you don't have any money, if you're really broke, and, and every dollar you come in is going out to pay a bill or buy food, etc., here's what I want you to do. is pray and say, Lord, I don't have any money to give, but I want to give some money. Will you give me some money to give? And then when that money miraculously shows up, because it'll show up out of the blue, I want you to give it. I want you to give it. <laughs> like, I'm, like I can say that, give it, you know, or else. If you pray and ask God to give you something to give, when you get it, give it. When you get it, give it. I was, at, I was teaching a teenage Sunday school class one time, and it was missions week. And we're talking about giving money to missions. And I told all the teenagers, I said, if you guys want to have some money to give to missions this year, pray, ask the Lord to give it to you. And then the next Sunday, I said, how many of you, and I said, let's everybody pray for five bucks, because anybody come up with five bucks, right? And I said, let's pray for five bucks. The next week, all those teenagers had five bucks to give. I said, Did you, how'd you guys get this money? One kid said, my mom asked me to do something. She gave me five bucks. I said, how many of you just kind of randomly showed up in your pocket? And that was about everybody. You know how money just sometimes just shows up, you find it somewhere, just weird ways. And I said, how many of you kids just kind of half-heartedly prayed one time, Lord, give me money, and it just happened? That was almost all of them. They didn't even seriously pray, and it happened. And they gave all their, they gave all, we gave that offering to missions, and, you know, I'm not trying to be Pentecostal or spooky. What I'm saying is if you, if you want to give something, Ask God to give it to you, and then give it if you have no money. But then there's the rest of us who probably can give. Mark out some, some amount you want to give in this year. Maybe take an annual total, break it up by 52, and say, I want to give this much to the Lord. And here's what I think will happen. Let me change that. Here's what I know will happen. At the end of the year, you won't, you won't miss it at all. Because God says, test me and see if I'll not pour you out a blessing. God, listen, I could stop the sermon right now and ask people to give testimonies who've been giving, and people would say, would tell you. There are people in this room who've told me. There, there's a couple people in this room who've actually told me I should preach on giving. Because they know it's such a, it's such a great thing. It's a part of your Christian life. Jesus said, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Just had Christmas, didn't we? Did you love your kids? Was there some treasure deposited their way in the form of gifts 
or gift cards. Giving. Give some money to the Lord in this year. You ready for me to move on? I'm ready to move on. <clears throat> Seven, eight, and nine. You ready? Seven, eight, and nine. Seven, be nicer to everyone you know, even your enemies. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, Ephesians 4, 32. Be nicer to everybody you know. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, love your enemies and pray for them to spitefully use you and say all men of evil against you falsely for my sake. Jesus says, love your enemies. He says, now, if you just love those who love you, you do even what the low-down, dirty tax collectors do. Love your enemies. Be nicer to everyone you know this year. Be nicer to your wife, brothers. Amen? Wives, amen? Wives, you want your husbands to be nicer to you? (laughs) Valerie said amen. She's leading the way, setting an example. (laughs) Be nicer to your wives. Ladies, be nicer to your husbands. Parents, be nicer to your kids. Kids, be nicer to mom and dad. Come in on time. Don't make them worry. Be nice. Be nice to your pastor. Amen? <laughs> pastor, be nice to your congregation. Amen. Be nicer to your coworkers. You don't have to hate them all. Be nicer to them. Be nicer to the people at McDonald's when you're driving through there getting one of those delicious Big Macs. Be nicer to the people at the coffee shop and the grocery store and at the bank. Be nicer to everybody in this year because God's been nice to you. Be a sweet, loving, kind Christian, not a mean old crank Christian. Number eight, get off the spiritual couch and start serving the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul tells the church at Corinth to be always abounding in the work and labor of the Lord. Get off the spiritual couch and serve the Lord. Here in this church, we need people to go witnessing, telling people about the gospel. We need teachers. We need nursery workers. We need transportation people. We need helping out people. We need steeple painters. We need need people for all kinds of stuff. Serve the Lord. Instead of being a Dead Sea Christian, just always taking in everything and just ruining all the water, be a fountain of joy and refreshing. Serve the Lord. Find something to do for God in the ministry of your local church. Serve the Lord. One of the most frustrating things to me about being a pastor is there's so many things that need to be done but there's so few people to do the things that need to be done. And what's really annoying to me sometimes is everybody has a good idea for somebody else to do. <laughs> and one time in Oklahoma, this guy, he's like, Pastor, he said, you know, we should start a, a school here at the church. And, you know, we got these neighborhood, we got these school kids who are underperforming. He said, we have a special school just for all these kids who are really having trouble and really tutor them in one-on-one and, and really teach them, you know, and help them, help them to, to, to get past their learning disabilities and, you know, a place where they could hear the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know what? He said, and Valerie, she has tons of talents and abilities. 
I said, now, wait just a doggone minute. You just dreamed up a ministry for my wife to do? Well, she doesn't have a job. Oh. It's because she didn't, back then she was a stay-at-home mom. And we all know stay-at-home moms don't do anything, right? <laughs> you know, there's, that, that's a, that's a, isn't that annoying? Some, somebody, somebody comes up with a job for somebody else. Well, I told him, I said, if you really want to do it, you do it. And guess what happened? <laughs> it didn't happen. But we shouldn't be that way, should we? You should think about ways, ways to serve the Lord, ways to reach out into this community. That's number eight. Number nine. Lastly, and all God's people said amen. Decide to attend more church services this year. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching, exhorting one another while it is today. Go to church more in 2023. Go to church more. Because you need it. You need the encouragement. You know when you show up here, when the Christians all get together, it's probably one of the few gatherings of right-minded people in the world. Because the world seems like it's lost its mind. The world, is, the world is crazy. When you show up here on Sunday, you see, oh, there's somebody who believes like I believe, somebody who's a Christian, somebody who has the same values and moral compass that I do. It's encouraging. There's nothing more encouraging than getting together with God's people and just seeing everybody. It's great. It's great. It's great to get together, to be exhorted. We need to assemble because it encourages us. It reminds us that we're not alone in our fight against the darkness. It reminds us that it's not just us. We have brothers and sisters who are in this fight for us. Now I'm going to give you an example of what you, of what you could miss when you don't come to church. This is from the New Testament. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 24. I'm not saying you can't go on vacation, that kind of thing. But in general, try to get to church as much as you can. Look at John chapter 20, verse 19. And here's an example of somebody who missed something exciting when he didn't go to church. This is John 20, verse 19. This is, this is in the New Covenant. Jesus has risen from the dead. So we can say church without any fear, I think. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday. Their, so their Sunday, their Sunday service was at night. I think all the early churches met at night on Sundays because that was a work day for everybody. And they couldn't come on the morning, so they came in the evening. They're all gathered together in the evening. They got the doors locked because they're afraid of the Jews. And what happens? Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So here are all these people gathered together. Sunday night, first Sunday, Jesus rose that morning. It's a Sunday night. They've gathered together. Who shows up in the midst? Jesus. And says, Here's my hands. Here's my side. And all the disciples were there except for one. Look at your Bible. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Well, he wasn't at church. He wasn't, he wasn't with the assembly. They got together, but he wasn't there, and he missed out on seeing Jesus. 
you missed out. And here's what happens, is when you don't come to church, you miss out. The best sermons I preach are the ones you don't hear. <laughs> if, you, if you come more often, you, the chances of hearing a good one, the, the odds go way up. Just like the lottery, you know? <laughs> if you're going to win it, you've got to get in it. <laughs> come to church more in this year. Come to church more this year. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, and I really appreciate the patience of these people I've yacked on about with this long sermon. And I pray, Lord, that you would take some of these truths and put them into our heart, nail them, nail them into our heart, Lord. I pray most of all, Lord, that if there's a person here who's not a Christian, that you would save them, that they would look unto Jesus and be saved. Satan will come along and whisper in their ear and say, Jesus would not save you. Your sins are so bad. Your sins are so awful. You are unlovable, unsavable, Satan will say. But Jesus Christ, in his gospel, says, Whosoever will call upon me, I will save. I pray, Lord, that you let us leave here knowing we're saved and committing our lives to following you. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, that's the end of the...